don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. All right, Crypto Economy crew, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I've got a fun little quick read today to start the week off, and it is titled Visions of Bitcoin. We have read um, work by Hasufly uh, in the past. I can't remember. I did not look up what article that was. Let me check really quick before we jump into this. But this is by uh, Hasufly and Nick Carter. It was posted on Nick Carter's um, uh, uh, Medium page. Um, which obviously I will link to in the post. Okay, so the one, the other one by uh, House of Fly that we did was episode 84, and that was his article, Analysis of Batching in Bitcoin. So I'll be sure to link to both that episode as well as um, both of their Medium pages so you can uh, follow them on Medium and, of course, their Twitter tags as well. However, they have co-authored an uh, article titled... Visions of Bitcoin, How Major Bitcoin Narratives Changed Over Time. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. Do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. Walt Whitman, Song of Myself. Perhaps the most enduring source of conflict within the Bitcoin community derives from incompatible visions of what Bitcoin is and should become. Businesses building on Bitcoin, believing it a cheap global payments network, eventually became non-viable when blocks filled up in 2017. They weren't necessarily wrong. They just had a vision of the world that ended up being a minority view within the Bitcoin community and was ultimately not expressed by the protocol on their desired timeline. In absence of a recognized sole leader, Bitcoiners refer to founding documents and early forum posts to attempt to decipher what Satoshi truly wanted for the currency. This is not unlike U.S. Supreme Court justices poring over the Constitution and applying its ancient wisdom to contemporary cases. Others reject textual exegesis and focus instead on a pragmatic analysis in context. Conflicts within Bitcoin thus arise from entities who hold visions of the protocol that are mutually exclusive, and this leads to friction when these visions cannot be reconciled. Visions of Bitcoin are not static. Technological developments, practical realities, and real-world events have shaped collective views. This post is an attempt to aggregate the various dominant narratives that have characterized Bitcoin throughout its nine-year history. This post builds on excellent prior work by Murad Mamadov and Adam Taché, and we suggest you add that to your reading list. Changing Narratives Here, we want to more granularly explore the prevalence of key narratives. We identify seven distinct major themes that have held positions of prominence among Bitcoiners throughout its history. 
Note that these do not necessarily have to be the most influential narratives. We are instead focusing on major strains of thought that have characterized Bitcoin users. In rough order of appearance, these are 1. eCash, proof of concept. The first major narrative, this was the general view of Bitcoin in its earliest days. Back then, cypherpunks and cryptographers were still appraising the nascent project and determining whether it worked, if at all. Since all prior eCash schemes had failed, it took a while for people to be convinced of its technical and economic viability and move on to more expansive conceptions of the protocol. 2. Cheap Peer-to-Peer -peer Payments Network An extremely popular and pervasive narrative. Some believe this is what Satoshi had in mind, a straightforward currency for peer-to-peer -peer internet transactions. A decentralized PayPal or Venmo, if you will. Since microtransactions are a key component of internet commerce, proponents of this view generally believe that low fees and convenience are an essential characteristic of such a currency. 3. Censorship-resistant digital gold the counterpoint to the peer-to-peer -peer payments narrative, this is the view that Bitcoin primarily represents an untamperable, uninflatable, largely unseizable, intergenerational wealth store, which cannot be interfered with by banks or the state. Proponents of this view de-emphasize Bitcoin's use for everyday transactions, arguing that security, predictability, and conservatism in development are more important. We're callously lumping in sound money believers into this camp. 4. Private and Anonymous Darknet Currency The view that Bitcoin is useful for anonymous online transactions, in particular to facilitate black market online commerce. This is not necessarily mutually exclusive with the e-gold position, as many proponents of the digital gold view believe that fungibility and privacy are important attributes. This was a popular narrative before the chain analysis companies had success de-anonymizing Bitcoin users. 5. Reserve Currency for the Cryptocurrency Industry This is the view that Bitcoin serves an essential purpose as the native currency for the cryptocurrency and crypto asset industry more generally. This is a view espoused by traders for whom Bitcoin is the numiere, the currency in which the prices of other assets are quoted. Additionally, traders, businesses, and distributed networks that hold reserves in Bitcoin de facto endorse this view. 6. Programmable Shared Database This is a slightly more niche view and generally involves the understanding that Bitcoin can embed arbitrary data, not just currency transactions. Individuals holding this view tend to see Bitcoin as a programmable, expressive protocol, which can facilitate broader use cases. In 2015 and 16, it was popular to express the notion that Bitcoin would eventually absorb a diverse set of functionalities through sidechains. Projects like Namecoin, Blockstack, Dios, Rootstock, and some of the timestamping services rely on this view of the protocol. 7. Uncorrelated Financial Asset This is a view of Bitcoin that treats it strictly like a financial asset and finds its most important feature to be its return distribution. 
In particular, its tendency to have a low or non-existent correlation to all manner of indexes, currencies, or commodities makes it an attractive portfolio diversifier. Proponents of the view are generally not too concerned about owning spot Bitcoin. They are interested in exposure to the asset. Put another way, they want to buy Bitcoin-flavored risk, not necessarily Bitcoin itself. As Bitcoin has become more financialized, this conception has gained steam. In the chart below, we've weighted these various narratives according to their popularity at the time. In this chart, we lay out the relative influence of the seven narratives we identified above. As you can see, the eCash proof of concept was the dominant view at the start, although the peer-to-peer -peer payments network and digital gold views were also espoused at the time. Later, Bitcoin as an anonymous darknet currency gained steam with the Silk Road. The idea never really died off, and Bitcoin is still used on the darknet today even though other privacy-oriented alternatives exist. As ICOs were invented and a broader market of altcoins began to proliferate, Bitcoin became the reserve asset for that larger economy. This grew to become a significant feature of Bitcoin, especially in the bull markets of 2014 and 17. We note that the peer-to-peer -peer payments contingent remained influential until mid-2017 when they largely migrated to Bitcoin Cash. Some had already left for Litecoin and Dash. However, with the emergence of Lightning in 2018, there has been an upswing of enthusiasm for online microtransactions and fee-less internet payments. In 2015 and 16, sidechains became a popular talking point, and it was assumed that Bitcoin would soon boast a much expanded functionality, obsoleting most altcoins. Related functionality extending projects like Mastercoin, now Omni, Colored coins, Namecoin, Rootstock, Blockstack, and Open Timestamps contributed to this general view. However, as sidechains proved complicated to implement, non-money uses of Bitcoin fell out of favor. As Bitcoin emerged from the 2014 and 15 bear market, analysts began to contemplate its status as a differentiated commodity money. In November 2015, Turdemeister published an investment note entitled, How to Position for the Rally in Bitcoin, arguing that it had unique characteristics as a portfolio asset. In mid-2016, Bernanesque and White influentially argued that Bitcoin represented an entirely new asset class. These analysts noticed Bitcoin's stubbornly low correlations with traditional assets, and as this persisted, Bitcoin as a portfolio diversifier gained steam among certain forward-looking corners of the asset management industry. Today, this is a popular view, driving much of the demand for financial products which would give traditional investors exposure to Bitcoin. Throughout all these regimes, the digital gold conception has remained influential and now is the consensus view, predominating over the peer-to-peer -peer petty cash faction, which largely departed with Bitcoin Cash. Today, after years of strife and infighting, this is the majority view. However, not all Bitcoin users are ideological Bitcoiners and wanted to reflect this in the chart. Many Bitcoin holders hold it as a portfolio diversifier, some still use it for anonymous darknet transactions, and the peer-to-peer -peer cash contingent has re-emerged alongside Lightning. Tension and Release 
If you scrutinize the above chart, you'll notice that some of the visions of Bitcoin are entirely incompatible. For instance, a move to a global on-chain payments network conflicts with the digital gold view, as emphasized by Spencer Bogart. We've depicted the conflict between these views of the world by isolating them on this chart. The conflict really began to be fought seriously with the release of Bitcoin XT in 2015, although rancorous discussions had long preceded that. Further provocations, including Bitcoin Classic, Unlimited, intensified the conflict. It reached its peak in mid-2017 when Bitcoin Cash finally forked. During the bull run of late 2017, Bitcoin fees reached extreme levels, leading to defections to the Bitcoin Cash camp. However, since then, fees have settled down and the need for big blocks appears less urgent. Additionally, in early 2018, Lightning implementations became viable and micropayments with Bitcoin emerged. Thus, the tension dissipated as both camps were able to pursue their own objectives. We noted an uptick in the cheap payment school of thought from within the Bitcoin crowd in 2018 as there has been a resurgence of optimism of payments through second layer solutions. An interesting conclusion that we think can be drawn from the analysis is that Bitcoin is currently benefiting from a rare period of relative harmony. While there is no single view that entirely dominates, the digital gold narrative is certainly most prevalent right now. The civil wars of 2015-17 to 17 ended with the Bitcoin Cash fork and migrations to other peer-to-peer -peer payment factions like Litecoin, Dash, and Nano. For now, the tension seems to be largely resolved, and we find ourselves in an unusually placid era in Bitcoin's history. Subjectively, it appears that under this comparatively peaceful regime, development seems to be progressing more rapidly. Endless social media battles, conference-driven agreements, and positioning for contention forks certainly created a drag on developer efforts. There is another battle looming, however. As depicted in this chart, the anonymous and fungible vision of Bitcoin, generally preferred by the digital gold camp, is somewhat at odds with the financialized, transparent version, which is growing in popularity. Individuals that want exposure to Bitcoin, the financial asset, tend to prefer a Bitcoin which is compatible with AML KYC and tend to put a lesser emphasis on privacy or fungibility. Many pundits believe this will be the next bitter fight for the soul of Bitcoin. Ultimately, both the conflict and the peacetime phases are important. Conflicts reveal where power structures reside and tend to yield informative signals about how key stakeholders truly feel. Under duress, business individuals and developers are forced to take sides, revealing their genuine preferences for the development of the protocol. Timeline of Events We are aware that much of our analysis relies on our subjective interpretation of old Bitcoin talk posts. If you disagree, we welcome you to suggest an alternative. To make subsequent analyses easier, we've put together a timeline of key Bitcoin events, tracking its entire history. We drew heavily on the 99 Bitcoin's annotated price chart to make this. We recommend considering our colorful Changing Tides chart alongside the below timeline. The juxtaposition should help elucidate why exactly we made the decisions that we did. Conclusion 
We put together the changing narratives chart through an analysis of Bitcoin talk posts, a set of discussions with Bitcoiners who had been there from the very start, a healthy respect for Bitcoin history, and a recollection of major attitudes over the years. Anyone who has been around Bitcoin long enough should be able to perform a similar analysis. We're not positing our analysis is the absolute truth. Instead, we want to nudge Bitcoiners away from absolutism and acknowledge that major narratives within the Bitcoin community have changed over time. And that's okay. It's appropriate to change your mind in response to new data. Purity tests are generally weak since they tend to require that individuals do not evolve. But if most Bitcoiners went back and contemplated their own past histories, they would probably find that they evolved over time too. Both of the authors have certainly been through the cycle. In the end, a healthy respect for Bitcoin history is a necessary starting point of any attempt to define it. It is not unitary, and Bitcoiners are not ideologically homogenous. Bitcoin contains multitudes, and it's important to remind ourselves of that. All right, and there we have our cool little article from Nick Carter and Hasufly. Um, uh, I will be sure to link to both of them and to this article. I would definitely check out the chart that they have. It's a really interesting chart, um, and it shows uh, a kind of the persistence of uh, these ideas over time and uh, kind of when they, you know, some of them came into being and entered the space, um, as well as the, uh, as he mentioned toward the end, um, the breakdown of major events that happened in Bitcoin uh, in that kind of uh, attributed to the changing of uh, people's concepts and the narrative around what Bitcoin is. Um, uh, now, one thing I personally, um, just using this as kind of an identifier, I am more of a, I do heavily consider privacy a really important aspect and that may be in the context of censorship-resistant digital gold. Um, <clears throat> I am very excited about microtransactions, particularly since the second-layer solution has uh, introduced itself. Um, but the reason I fall mostly in the uh, reserve currency, censorship-resistant digital gold camp is because of, I consider it, without question, the largest problem to solve. Like, when I see the problems in the world today, like, when you look at, like, where are the huge costs? Where are more people suffering and where are the greatest causes of poverty than any other aspect of the inefficiencies or miscommunications or failures of our economies in the world today? Almost invariably, it is under state-controlled money. And, I mean, and we're seeing this in real time now. Uh, Iran just had a horrible inflation um, after sanctions from the U.S. Um, uh, the starvation and currency controls in Yemen. Uh, Venezuela is going through hyperinflation. Uh, the destruction in Argentina state-controlled and monopolistically controlled money is one of the biggest vulnerabilities in today's society. It results in so much poverty, pain, and death. It is unbelievable. And it's 
it's death that in so many cases is actually just based on extreme ignorance. Not only is it susceptible to massive corruption and the inevitable desire to print money to solve your own problems um, by stealing the value from people who are saving in that currency, um, if you listen to the episode uh, two back, I think, about uh, central banking, uh, we go into that in more detail. But inevitably, it is exposed to that massive abuse and corruption. But even worse, the, just the sheer fact that it is politically controlled monetary policy means even the best intentions are likely to destroy it and cause incredible pain and suffering. Um, like, money is the very foundation of why we can economically organize. And literally everything that we want to do, like, the economy is the means to all of our ends now. It is, we cannot achieve anything comparable, like, on our own without trade. I mean, people who think they can build a house, did they make the hammer? Did they make the nail gun? Did they, did they know how to compress air and create an engine to run the nail gun? No, they don't know how to do one one millionth of all the things actually necessary to build the house they, the way they built it. The economy and trade is the means by which they are actually able to pull that off. Um, so when you break down that language, the ability to communicate value and trade it freely and voluntarily, it, the, the level of destruction is horrible. And, you know, I look at, like, when people tell me that this is about micropayments and, um, uh, you know, decentralized PayPal, I look at PayPal and that's not where the travesties of the world are. That's not where tyranny comes from. PayPal problems are not the end of the world. They are not... They're not huge, suffering, poor country, starving millions of people style problems. Monopolistically controlled currency absolutely causes those problems. So in, in basically in the context of my economic history, I see one of the greatest abuses and uh, causes of suffering in history to be the manipulation of currency to the benefit of a central, all-encompassing, tyrannical institution. And it happens again and again and again. And it has only ever gotten out of by revolution. And often it is just replaced with another failed, inevitably going to f succumb to the exact same corruption system. And Bitcoin has a chance at solving that. And I see no benefit. That is, that is absolutely where 99.5% of the real costs that Bitcoin can prevent in the future lie. PayPal, Venmo, Venmo great. You know, like, let's build a decentralized service on top of it. But if we're threatening the security and the uh, ease of validation at the underlying base layer of the actual currency this is just a digital ledger like consensus is everything otherwise it's just internet points that anybody can freely like print into thin air um and if there is no large distribution of nodes keeping that in check and confirming that they're using real bitcoin as opposed to just bitcoin trusted from some other node then i think the inevitable abuse is just a matter of time 
Um, as soon as this is not a trustless system for anybody who chooses to use it trustly and the costs become too great to run it, uh, we are threatening the absolute most valuable utility of this thing, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> so that's why I fall really hard into the censorship-resistant digital gold, which is a little... It's kind of a combination of three or four of these, honestly, um, because I think privacy and fungibility is a key element of that. Um, and honestly, I think PayPal and Venmo are problems to be solved, but I think that's a much easier problem to solve with smart contracts and shared risk as opposed to trying to create a base layer where everybody's going to make every payment in the whole world on this one layer that... And somehow we're just going to easily keep this from being in the hands of just, you know, a giant server farm that everyone is relying on for trust in transactions and the history of the currency, um, which means that it's just, it, we've just got a new trust-based system with internet points. Um, but uh, there was another um, element to this article in particular that I thought was really interesting was just the nature of... Um, kind of articulating that, like, ideological narratives, well, just narratives in general that we tell ourselves about Bitcoin are essentially the market perspectives. Um, and they actually have a lot of correlation with the price, with with how the market values Bitcoin. Um, and it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting concept because all of this is so abstract. And it does evolve over time. But, you know, for all my listeners, if you disagree or you have some other in that list of seven, or maybe you've got another one that you think is kind of a part of the puzzle that they may have missed, feel free to respond on Twitter with whichever one you think uh, is most valuable and why. Um, but uh, uh, be sure to go over to Nick Carter's Medium page, uh, and, of course, Hasselflies as well, um, to both check out the article, check out the charts. They've got some really good stuff up there. And as they kind of said um, that this was built on prior work, uh, they've got links to those other articles that this is, uh, this is kind of an extension of. But be sure to give them applause on Medium and follow them on both Medium and Twitter. Um, and of course, do the same for me. You can find me at The Crypto Economy, both on Medium and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. That is The Crypto Economy Podcast with the headphones and the Bitcoin mug. And uh, uh, if you would like to support the show, it is a huge help. Um, I spend a lot of time on this to keep this running, and I want to keep doing this for as long as I possibly can. Uh, and uh, any donations are super, super helpful. So if you have a couple bucks, want to help me buy my coffee for the morning, um, uh, please do that. I have a Bitcoin address in both the Twitter posts and in the show notes um, of each episode. And if you're looking to get your Trezor hardware wallet, use my affiliate link and you'll send me a couple of bucks that way and it won't cost you anything at all. So um, and the Trezor hardware wallet is definitely the one I most recommend. That's why I uh, use it as my affiliate link. So uh, check that out as well. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this one. Don't forget to check out all that cool stuff, and I will catch you tomorrow on the Crypto Economy Podcast. Take it easy, guys. <laughs> <laughs>